Noah, I'm thrilled to be sitting down with you here at the start of February and the start of uh, self-love month. And I know that, you know, you have an interesting take on self-love, being a guy that meditates, yet, you know, old skater here in Venice, love tattoos. So what would you say your influence has been in combining these worlds? I'd love to hear your take on how how self-love really shows up for you on a daily basis. Sure. Um, happy to do it. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. Um, you know, it's been such a journey as I think self-love is pretty much for everyone. I, I come from a perspective that nobody is, um, born with self-love. That is actually a skill that we have to create. Mm. Um, that something about our human survival instinct is about loving others and getting love from others, but there's not a natural, a human need in our survival kind of instinctual drives to care about, to love, to even know our own self-worth, that that's not sort of wired into us, that Mm -hmm. that's actually something that's in some ways counter-instinctual because the instincts is get it from outside and give it outside, but not a sort of internal loving attitude. When did you really have your first experience with discovering your inner work of... So for, for me, the journey began um, in 1988 with, I mean, even before that, I mean, I, my father was a meditation teacher. He was teaching loving kindness and compassion, forgiveness uh, with Ram Dass, with Jack Kornfield, with all of these, you know, so I grew up around these guys that are talking about self-love and my father used to have a um, uh, kind of a motto that was cherish yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, you know, so there was a, a strong... Uh, influence of that but I was suffering you know parents were divorced early I went into addiction and suicidal ideation really young I'd love to hear more about that it's fascinating how you have how you've come full circle yeah and you know so it was really a, a circle because I went from drug addiction and you know violence and what crime age? I mean, I, st- I was suicidal when I was five years old. Oh, wow. I was getting high when I was seven years old. Wow. I was taking LSD when I was 10 years old, mushrooms. By the time I was a teenager, I was completely strung out. I was shooting heroin. I was smoking crack. I was committing felonies, and I wow. was in juvenile hall over and over. And here, what your dad was, this meditation teacer, and how was, how was that relationship between you and him? Well mixed he was um you know he was the guy who when i was 17 sitting in juvenile hall my third felony arrest looking at prison um who said uh who i said i need some help and i'm willing and and uh, he taught me meditation wow that's beautiful so there was that but then there was also all of the irresponsibility of his lack of actual parenting that led me to that situation right um so like, like i said really um mixed Mm-hmm. And I started meditating at 17 years old with a core feeling of unworthiness and self-hatred and guilt, you know, guilt and regret and remorse. And, and um, I got some immediate relief from the suffering that I was experiencing 
with mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness, even though I was using it, as I think a lot of people use meditations, as a way to ignore what's happening rather than turn towards it. I think I, but, tell, I admitted that to you one time, telling you my journey with Vipassana. That's, that's right. And, yeah. and so I think, you know, some meditation instructions can be a setup for that. And because we get some relief, and that was my experience. I got some relief from the suffering that my mind was creating and my self-hatred was creating by ignoring it and coming back to the breath and body. And after doing that for some time and being like, okay, this is a path that I want to follow. I want to get free and starting to study the teachings and listen to the teachers and, and this core um, teaching and encouragement towards loving kindness, what we call metta in Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So you asked before what's been the core uh, thing. So for me, it's been Buddhism, mm -hmm. Buddhism and recovery. You know, so I got sober in 1988. I've stayed sober since 31 years. I started meditating. I've continued meditating. You know, I've done dozens and dozens and dozens, you know, probably 50 or 60 silent meditation retreats. Like I just committed my life to it. And it was a slow process from self-hatred to self-love. Yeah, and it sounds like sobriety was a path to your self-love practice as well and abstaining from the things that you knew were... For sure. ...causing you pain. For sure. And, yeah, getting sober, staying sober... The 12-step process was helpful in some ways. Um, my own opinion is the 12-step program doesn't teach you how to love yourself. It teaches you how to be of service to others, make amends, and there's a lot of kind of forgiveness that happens there. It's a little too theistic for me. I always came back to Buddhism because the 12 steps is saying, like, a higher power is going to help you. And I was like, I'm an atheist. I don't believe I'm that there's that. a higher power that's going to help me. But I do feel totally committed to saying the prayers, doing the meditation, being of service, taking all of the actions mm -hmm. that are asked of me. I'm, I feel willing to do all of that, but I don't really believe that there's a magical source that's going to strike me loving exactly. <laughs> or sober or anything else. Yeah, I don't believe in a savior either. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as to the, the loving kindness practice and how that does relate to your your uh, fundamental beliefs of self-love and, yeah, and, and how that I works. Was saying, it was a real journey for me that I started doing the loving kindness practice where we say things to ourselves like, may I be happy, may I be at ease, may I accept myself just as I am, may I you know, learn to love myself, mm -hmm. may I be free from suffering and that which is causing suffering in my life. And for the first couple of years of saying that to myself, I didn't believe it. But I had enough faith and confidence based in how mindfulness was working that I would do the loving kindness and the compassion, the forgiveness. And we do it in, in Buddhist practice as repeating phrases and trying to, what could we say, incline the heart and engender the feeling. But I did it without having the feeling, but with um, commitment to saying, I want to have that. I want to love myself. I want to get there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep doing the practice. And it was like a couple years before I started to mean it actually feel it and it was a couple years after that before I started to feel it first oh. there was I don't even mean this mm -hmm. then there was I mean it but I don't feel it then there was I'm starting to feel it interesting and then there was oh I can live in this space I've actually trained my heart mm. to be forgiving to be loving uh, in Buddhism we don't make a distinction between the heart and the mind um, we don't believe that your heart is loving all of the time and your mind is the problem. Right. The heart-mind are the same thing, and they are 
capacity for love and the capacity for hatred. Yeah. The capacity for wisdom and the capacity for ignorance. Mm-hmm. So the Buddhist training path is about training your mind uh, to uncover a natural love, a natural compassion, a natural wisdom that's always been there, but it's laid buried beneath the survival instinctual drive of lust and hatred and fear and self-centeredness. So Buddhism excavates it. It uncovers it. So you say these phrases over and over. I say training your mind, but the training is like a excavation. Yeah, an excavation of your heart. You're uncovering all of that which was blocking the natural wisdom of the Mm heart-mind, the natural loving tendencies blocked by instinctual drives to avoid Mm -hmm. and so we start turning towards and using meditation not as a bypass or an avoidance but a turning towards the pain and Mm -hmm. learning to tolerate it and learning to care about it and learning to have mercy and compassion which leads to a feeling of oh i have self-love i actually care about myself i actually love myself as well as everyone else you, in the, and I really feel like this this inside out job. Mm, I love yeah. that it's self love February or uh, the month, but it's both and. It's not I love myself because sometimes spiritual practices have the danger of becoming like uh, too self centered. Exactly. You know. Well, I think that's but where it, the it, you and. know the re- religious people that are evangelical i'm speaking about some of my family members that have criticized me for using the word self-love um you know tend to misunderstand it because they think that that means you're self-centered and that's all you think about is yourself um but whenever it comes to healing self-love is so integral for for me anyway in my path it's been very integral and important um to turn to remember like you said to teach the heart that you know i am worthy of receiving greatness yeah so and from ourselves yeah exactly not from from other people we get so externalized uh, of looking for it from the world mm-hmm. and you know buddhism teaches us it's totally an inside job it's not about what the world provides you it's about how you respond to what's happening to your own mind to your own emotions and and to and to what is happening in the world mm-hmm. um i might even make the argument that if we can't learn to love ourselves we our, our love for others is uh is, there's something missing i agree I definitely agree. Because we're so connected. Mm-hmm. And we're a reflection of one another. We are there's some reflection. And we're so connected and we're so it's so universal this human condition. And that if you don't really know your own heart, your own mind through meditative, introspective investigation, mm-hmm. you're never fully empathetic and connected and loving towards others because if you don't know yourself you can't really know what somebody else is going through but when you learn to love yourself and love you know is a big word and love is a word that for me like includes all of it all of the pain of life all of the imperfections of life Mm -hmm. it's this big feeling of acceptance and generosity Mm -hmm. and not like i only love when it's good but in the midst of all of it and unconditional love you you brought up something earlier about sitting in the pain and watching the pain transform yeah and overcoming that pain and seeing what was on the other side and 
one of the reasons why I really wanted to interview is I find you to be so fascinating having grown up skating and doing these extreme sports and putting your body through crazy painful things and you know tatting up your body I love your tattoos I don't have any so I'm living vicariously (laughs) through watching you get tattoos um and congratulations on the new headpiece um so like how does that experience whenever you go in for a tattoo and you're in you know it's got to be incredibly painful especially like somewhere like your head um like, do you go into a meditative state whenever you're having it? Like, is that one of the reasons why you love getting tattoos and you love extreme sports is because you've trained yourself to sort of overcome this pain? And uh, I mean, how do you how do you find the softness in the heart? And mm-hmm. I would love to hear your kind of, you know, I mean, theory it, on this. It's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my own personal experience is that I love intense experiences and have been drawn to things that make me feel very alive, intense experiences, which, you know, led to drug addiction. Right. And then in recovery, there's a balance of still loving what we love and still kind of being authentic in what we love. And I I see this a lot in spiritual circles where people think that, like, if I'm going to be spiritual... I have to be different than I am. Mm. You see a lot of men who feel like they need to be emasculated, mm. that, that uh, they have to be feminine in order to be spiritual, that there's no room for like a, lack of a better word, like a sacred masculine. You know, that like what about the testosterone that we feel Absolutely. in our meditation, in our... So uh, my, my own experience with it is learning how to be satisfied and at ease on in silence when there's no distractions there's no entertainment you know the meditative experience Mm -hmm. totally supports then being able to be fully present but not addicted to intense experiences Mm. so i mean i love motorcycles skateboarding (laughs) bicycle you know like driving fat all of the stuff that i've always loved since i was a kid and you have quite a few injuries from it too i've had some big injuries (laughs) I, I still, you know, like I still, I feel passionate about that kind of like fun, mm-hmm. like intense fun experiences. And I'll go into silence and sit and walk slowly for a week. Yeah. I know a lot of people, a lot of guys and, and women who get so addicted to the intensity that that's their source of happiness. Right. And that's it's not my experience at all. I can really take it or leave it, but I enjoy it in a, in a healthy mm-hmm. way. Um, because I also know how to be silent and mm-hmm. still. Well, I think we're, you're touching on something really important here, which is I think to truly know love, you must know pain. I mean, to, it's like you have to have the extreme ends of both sensations mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. to fully understand one or the other. It's like, how can you ever fully know love if you've never opened up your heart to it and felt pain? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a risk involved Mm -hmm. there. I know. I mean, I just lost my dog last week, and the pain is great. But it probably wouldn't be this great if I wouldn't have allowed myself to go down into the depths of love first in order to... to, You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you have to... 
you have to experience this polarity of of life to fully grasp the the best of what life has to offer you have to experience the dark to truly see the light yeah no i hear you um maybe i don't know yeah i don't i don't i don't know and i don't like to come up with these like it's always this way it's always that sure. way but um certainly your experience shows you that having that depth of love you know opens you to the depth of pain knowing the depth of pain opens you to the kind of realms of love yeah. um, the but, but who knows like there might be people that don't have a lot of pain that are big lovers right and you know have all of this love and they haven't had a, a ton of pain and the human condition is painful this is the Buddha's first noble truth is that like, you know, we're born into a world of impermanence where loss is certain. Everything that we experience will be gone mm-hmm. and there will be grief and there will be sadness. And can we learn to meet that with acceptance and love and compassion? Yeah. Or are we going to cling to all of the constant loss that we experience in this world and this nervous system that we're born into that rejects it that is out of balance with impermanence so everyone no matter how healthy no matter how safe no matter how you know they're still experiencing a ton of pain and a ton of loss because that's what this world is it's a realm of Mm -hmm. loss yeah and it's painful yeah, if you're even half awake, mm-hmm. it's painful. Even if you're asleep, it's painful. <laughs> so yeah, it is. love is, you know, love and kindness and compassion and forgiveness and, you know, understanding that is our only hope. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we going to do if we don't accept everything's impermanent and know that when we get the dog, we're going to love it so much. When we fall in love, we are signing up for heartbreak. Right. Every single time. Mm-hmm. And people get so delusional about this of like, I can't believe this ended. Like, of course it ended. <laughs> Everything ends. Exactly. Even happily ever after mm-hmm. marriage, relationship, whatever, one of us has to die first. Right. We're signing up for like, I'm either going to grieve your loss or you're going to grieve my loss. And it's going to be terribly painful. Yeah. That's what's necessary for rebirth. It's one of the reasons that the Buddha was just celibate. Mm. He was, you know, and it's not that he didn't love and didn't grieve when his friends and family and stuff died. But he said, you know, in romantic relationships, that's the hardest place to not be attached. Yeah. And the more we're attached, the more we suffer. Right. Indeed. So uh, what would you say some of your self-love practices would be beyond sitting on the cushion? It's, it's mostly loving kindness mm-hmm. meditation that I do on the cushion, but not just on the cushion throughout the, the day. And there's the formal training, which is saying the phrases, and then there's just the feeling that comes. Mm -hmm. And then the goal is to just live in that feeling. And sometimes it's a loving feeling, and sometimes it's a painful feeling. Like loving, what we call loving kindness, can be also translated as unconditional friendliness. Mm -hmm. And unconditional friendliness is always appropriate. To have a friendly attitude, to be kind, to be loving. Always, no matter what's happening, if it's painful... Loving kindness. Mm-hmm. If it's pleasurable, loving kindness. Mm-hmm. And the loving thing to do is either let go if we're clinging, right? It's so but unloving to, observe that. to hold on. Yeah, you, you have, have to, to know. know it, yes. Mm-hmm. So not, but non-attached appreciation is the loving response. Mm. And we think like, I love so much, I'm going to hold on. And it's like, no, no, that's delusion. If you love so much, let go. Right. And if it's painful, the loving response is mercy, 
is compassion, is learning to feel it and, and know that it's impermanent, like this heartbreak, this physical, as you know, you pointed out, I hurt myself on my motorcycle. <laughs> I was on crutches for six months. I had yeah. to have two big surgeries and, you know, it was painful. And the loving response was compassion to the pain and learning to, you know, sit on the couch and not be able to walk and not be able to drive and, mm-hmm. and just be able to be in that in a friendly way. Right. But compassion and appreciation are connected. Definitely. The Buddha talks about the Brahma Viharas, the divine abodes of the heart. And he says, love is one, loving kindness. And then there's compassion. And then there's appreciation. And then there's equanimity, mm. which is that quality of the heart that can be at ease in the midst of the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. Mm. In the praise, when people are loving us, in the blame, when people are hating us in the gain when we're getting something that we want, in the loss when we're losing something we don't want to lose. Absolutely. This heart-mind quality of love and compassion and appreciation and balance. Equanimity. That's yeah. beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. I, I wrote a blog post for February about self-love, and one of the things I said was that self-love comes from knowing your true self. Yeah. You know, it's... It, it's, it's, you know, when you're in the presence of somebody that knows themselves because they've sat in the pain and in the joy and are able to practice unconditional friendliness with themselves first and foremost, that kind of person is very easy to be in relationship with. It because, rubs off or something. <laughs> well, they're, they're not, you, you know that they're not clinging. And it just becomes very easy to be around someone like that because you know that there maybe the expectation to meet certain needs isn't going to be there like it it would be for someone with maybe not as much awareness for and sure. and had done the self growth work so yeah. taking care of our own needs yeah i taking think taking responsibility for our reactions exactly and it um i know that you have gone through some you know major transitions with everything here against the stream and I just want to commend you on um, remaining equanimous through the process of these challenges and you you know it sounds like you've been given another opportunity in your life to transcend um, you know through difficulty and love yourself and and forgive others for yeah. for things that um yeah and you know, self-forgiveness happen. i mean self-love exactly. and self-forgiveness are so connected and yeah i went through this terrible um you know loss the last couple of years mm. based on what i believe to be um not true and you know this false accusation that came against me and then the way that the people around me reacted to it mm-hmm. um, rather than supporting and loving this sort of like well we're going to try to take away what you've built and we're going to destroy what you built and we're going to steal your mailing list and this sort of like opportunist right you know thing and I was like whoa I, I trusted these people mm-hmm. and you guys know that this isn't even true about me but you're using it as an opportunity for your own you know, some of it like fear so that they didn't get in the, you know, firing line. Right. And some of it like as this like malicious, destructive tendency. Even in the world of meditation, in the it's Buddhist still there. World, in the including Buddhist, including yes. my own teacher, Jack it's, Cornfield, who like told amazing. me himself, he said like, you know, this is political. Yeah. This is, we, you know, you're bad for business. Mm-hmm. So we have to dissociate ourselves from you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute. Spirituality isn't business. Mm-hmm. Spirituality is service. Like if it becomes our livelihood and we get supported for it wonderful but you're making decisions 
based on business, not based on love, not based on integrity, not based on what's actually right. That must have been very painful. Incredibly painful. And without forgiveness, without loving kindness, without compassion, it would be unbearable. Right. But because I have the, the practice to say, okay, what was my part? I'm sure I, you know, I was imperfect. I, I was unskillful in some ways for sure. Owning that, feeling it, asking for forgiveness, offering myself forgiveness, and then, you know, offering and asking for forgiveness from everyone else who had their own reactions. And, that, you know, everybody's sort of doing the best that we can. Even, you know, famous spiritual people mm-hmm. fucking up. Yeah. But how much responsibility do we take? So that's where I keep landing is like, I want to take 100% responsibility totally. for my part. That's why I always say 100% responsibility, 50% of, of, of the relationship is that's the right. best that you can do. That's right. And... I think that, you know, your journey is a beautiful one, even though there's been so much darkness and pain throughout. And, um, I mean, you talk about it in Dharma Punk, Dharma Punks, plural, right? Yes. Um, beautiful book. Um, still, I think, a bestseller, isn't it? If not, should be. A <laughs> um, little plug there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you've been on this journey of ebb and flow for a while and how appropriate the name of your book but dharma punks dharma punks and against the stream and the heart of the revolution and and refuge recovery and it's like all of these books are my practice and my perspective Mm -hmm. of like there is a refuge a reliable refuge that we can find within Mm -hmm. ourselves we're never going to find a reliable refuge in the world yes the heart you know there's a revolution that needs to take place and we have to do the practices. We can't just think our way to self-love. We actually have to train the heart. We have to uncover it. It's not about and bubble baths, is all it? of this, well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's self-care. Sure, I mean, sure. you asked me about self-care other than meditation. And I love to get a massage. I love to, you know, have a, you know, just a, a nice hang time with friends. Community is yeah. very loving, is very healing. Um, you know, I like to do fun stuff. I like to do quiet stuff. For me, I'm a parent. I have two children, eight and 11 years old. You know, just that practice of parenting yes. is such a practice of service and such a practice of love and, um, and, and you know, supports me in right. like showing up in that way. And it's beautiful. So there, are, and, and you know, sometimes it's bubble baths. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's mindful masturbation. Sometimes, you know, it's <laughs> like it. there's all kinds of self-love yeah. that's not... Um, just meditating mm-hmm. you know how do we take how do we eat right you know what are we putting into our bodies how are we exercising are we doing the yoga the dance the exercise the you know it's um, not about what you do is it so it's there about is a physical, how you do it i tend to focus mostly on the sort of internal emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and spiritual awareness but i'm also somebody who exercises and goes to yoga and i do all of the physical i don't talk a lot about the physical because mm-hmm. that's not the important piece to me the internal, psychological, emotional heart is much more important to me. But we have to have both. Right. And you brought up sacred masculinity. And I'm wondering, in some, do you have men's groups? Do you have men's I've groups done, I've done a bunch. I don't have a men's group currently. Oh, okay. I've done a bunch of men's retreats and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But we're not doing that currently. It just seems like you would be such a vital voice in the community for sacred masculinity, which I feel is something that... I don't even know what that means. You know, there's a lot of talk about sacred feminine, and I think that that's right. beautiful. My own sense is making either gender sacred or more sacred or less sacred is complete bullshit. I agree. <laughs> and that, you know, of course, 
feminine is sacred. Of course, masculine is sacred. Human beings have a sacred, mm-hmm. you know, have, have an enlightened potential. Yeah, it just seems like men are really uh, sometimes uh, forgotten about in this world of, of meditation and spirituality because, you know, like you're talking about, sometimes they lose their... Yeah. their masculinity throughout the process and and then where's the space for men to be men you know yeah. and not be cut down for who who they are and I I feel like you know I mean as a woman I really think that that work is super important yeah. for the collective yeah. and for sure. um you just seem to be like such a, a vital my, voice my own I mean I, I like it and I think about mm. it some but I'm not big into segregation mm-hmm. or you know like splitting off i'm really i feel like unity is so important with i agree men and women and mm-hmm. with um you know not only for gender stuff but for race stuff mm-hmm. like my own feeling is like the more we're in the room together yeah there's enough separation in the world right but i also get you know the cries against the abuses of patriarchy mm-hmm. and how often men have been in power and unskillful. So I, I've you know done a lot to try to empower more women and support more women in my community to take the teaching role and Beautiful. you know so that there is some some balance there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I always felt a little hesitant of being like this is just for the men and mm-hmm. the women can't come even though it's good work. It is good to work. do that and to help men wake up more. Yeah. Well. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Noah. My and, pleasure. Um, you know, self-love February all year round. Um, and I definitely feel like, you know, just letting everyone know to come and take your meditation classes. Uh, can you just remind everyone when yeah. your classes are, what time they are in here sure. in Venice? Here in Venice, um, Against the Stream, we are um, on Lincoln, 2516 Lincoln. The website is againstthestream.com. And then also, like, there's uh, on the website, there's um, blogs and guided meditations and loving kindness meditations. Awesome. If people want a guided, you know, how to do this, all of that is on the againstthestream.com. And then people, anybody seeking help with addiction recovery, refugerecovery.org is my organization that offers a Buddhist, a meditation-based addiction recovery process. And there's meetings all over the country. So uh, thanks, Julie. Happy to do it. Thank you so much, Noah.